1: All right, folks, welcome back. It is a jam-packed Wednesday edition of J.J. After Dark. It's John G. Stramski right here on The Fan. And with the Patriots making big news, it's amazing. The NFL never slows down. And it's one of the many reasons why this guy never slows down. He's got the GM Shuffle Pod. He's got the Athletic. He's got an unbelievable book that if you're looking for something to read during the summer, it's a terrific read, Gridiron Genius. Let's welcome in the former longtime NFL executive, Mike Lombardi is nice enough to join us. What's happening, Mike?
2: Nah, not much, JJ. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
1: Well, Mike, far too kind. Let's start here. Patriots, you know them as well as anybody. Were you buying the idea they were content with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer? It reminds me a lot of the Yankees. 2005, they were telling everybody after the season, Bubba Crosby's our center fielder. Johnny Damon's waiting in the wings. All of a sudden, at the 11th hour, Johnny Damon's the center fielder for the Yankees. Do you see any uh, parallels with Cam Newton?
2: Well, I, I, you know, I was saying all along that I thought that they would be players, and it's not any way a shot towards Jarrett Sidham. I think they really like Jarrett Sidham. I think they think Jarrett Sidham's going to be a really good player. But the fact is, is when you get an opportunity to get a, a quarterback who's been the MVP of the league, who before the shoulder injury in 2018 was playing as well as he's ever played— You know, he had 15 touchdown passes, four interceptions. You're going to get a guy that comes into your building. He's going to pass throw for over 3,600 yards. He's going to rush for 600 yards. That's a minimum. Uh, You you have a hard time turning that down. And it's really, you know, don't get mad at the Patriots. Get mad at the Bears or Jacksonville or the Chargers for not really stepping up and signing them because Cam's a top-10 quarterback in the National Football League, assuming he's healthy.
1: Well, that's the million-dollar question now. Is Cam Newton going to be a productive player? And look, you go back to 2015, Mike. I thought he was going to usher in that next generation of quarterback. He's the MVP of the league. They're 15-1. Then they get humbled. They get humiliated by an all-time Denver defense in the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden, the injuries start to catch up with Cam Newton. How much football do you buy that he has left?
2: Well, I think you know. Look, the, the shoulder got healed, and it was fine last year. Then he broke his foot. I mean, sometimes those injuries just happen to players. You know, he broke his foot up in the wind. He tried to play on it. He tried to play on a bad shoulder. You know, there's a lot of times if you talk to Derek Anderson, the backup quarterback, he kept asking Cam, "Do you want me to go in?" Because he knew he was hurt. So I think the guy plays through pain. I think he did the smart thing shutting it down last year. And I think he'll be better off for it this year. Do I think he'll stay healthy? Yeah, I do. I think guys that learn how to protect their body when they run, this is a big man now. I mean, this is not some 5'11", foot Baker Mayfield quarterback. This is a big, big man.
1: Mike, you know Bill Belichick very well. And this is the first year, obviously, it's going to be the parting of the ways with Tom Brady. Um, Do you think that those competitive juices are flowing in Bill Belichick like they have never been flowing before? Look, the guy, for my money, I didn't see Paul Brown. I I didn't see Vince Lombardi. Mike, I'm going to be telling my kids, my grandkids, that's the greatest man I've ever seen coaching an NFL team. Because in a salary cap era, to do what he's done in New England is nothing short of remarkable Do you look at this in a way where Belichick seeing this is like the final chapter? I got to show, I got to prove that I can win without Tom Brady?
2: I don't think he looks at it that way. I think he looks at I got to win. I think every year is a new year. I think, you know, both Brady and Belichick, one of their uh, uh, strengths is their competitive stamina, their ability to keep trying to win and never taking time off. And Brady feels the same way. Look, Tom wanted to go somewhere where he could be TB12, could kind of come out of the out and really let his brand show itself. He couldn't do that in New England, and Tom had too much class. He had too much understanding of the system to do it there. So he left and went to Tampa. And Belichick's going to keep going on with the system. I think what Belichick wants to prove more than anything is that the culture wins in the NFL. That the right culture, no matter who the players are, the right culture, assuming you've got enough talent, can win.
1: Mike, I give you. Tampa Bay with Brady, New England with Belichick and Cam Newton. Who has more wins in twenty twenty?
2: Well, I'm going to go with New England here because I think that the, I think there'll be a harmony between what Cam can do offensively, Cam's strengths, and the New England offense, which is very adaptable. I don't think Bruce Arians' offense at times and what Tom Brady does well. I don't see the adaptability between the two. I think they're going to have to be some form of compromises down there. Brady wants to throw the ball, get it out of his hands quickly, throw it in the middle of the field, you know, you matriculate the ball down the field, use his precision, use his mind to make plays. Bruce, you know, no biscuit, no nothing, that's his motto from his book, The Quarterback Whisper. He wants to hold the ball. Most of the time, his quarterbacks take a lot of sacks. Last year, Jameis Winston, as much as we make fun of him, was 1.8 higher percentage on interceptions than he ever was in his career playing in Bruce's offense. So I think there's going to have to be a meeting of the minds in that offense for them to be successful.
1: So, Mike, by that logic, you're telling me New England's still the team to beat in the AFC East.
2: Well, I think the the whole thing comes down to Josh Allen, right? If Josh Allen can throw the ball effectively – Then I think you know. You know the problem with Josh Allen is he don't throw the ball very good over twenty yards. It's he struggles. You know he's seven for fifty-one on throws over thirty yards in the National Football League. He's well below fifty percent on throws over twenty yards. He does not throw the ball with accuracy, and that's a problem. And the Bills have a good team. They're gonna they're gonna go up in their schedule. But let me say this to you: You know Josh Allen has to be the guy. They passed Lamar Jackson to pick Josh Allen. They traded up with Kansas City to get to get to get this guy, and they need to get him. If not, it's going to be a problem.
1: We got Michael Bordy, longtime NFL executive, unbelievable stuff, athletic, VEASAN, guys all over the place. Mike, here in New York, obviously, there's been a whole lot of chatter about the Jamal Adams situation, and look, I understand he wants to get paid. I understand he wants a new contract, but the way he has handled this on social media – it kind of reminds me of George Costanza in the parking lot in Seinfeld, basically taking a Yankees uh, trophy and, and driving around. It seems like Jamal Adams, I mean, do you get this sense? is doing everything in his power to try to get traded from the New York Jets?
2: You, you know, I think there's no doubt. I wrote about that. I used that exact line in my athletic piece. I, when I broke down Jamal Adams as a player. Look, I, I like Jamal Adams. I think he is an elite player in his role. Right, The Jets paid a premium, and I wrote about this in Gridiron Genius. The Jets paid a premium for a non-premium position. Jamal Adams is not a man-to-man cover safety. Jamal Adams needs to be in the box. He's not a cover 2 high safety. He had seven passes broken up last year with one interception. He had six and a half sacks. Jamal Adams is a force when he's in the box attacking the pocket. He is not a play-in-any-system safety. He's cam chancellor for the Jets. Need him in the box. Use his big body. When some little receiver comes in there to try to block him, he bangs him out. I wrote about this in The Athletic last week. I laid it all out. To me, the Jets are being smart. You can't pay a premium for a non-premium position. Now, I know the fans don't want to hear it. Jamal is a good player. But Jamal Adams has a notion that he is a cover safety, that he's not. And I think that when you break it down, what Greg Williams was able to do with them and play him within that scheme, he's most effective. But now when I have to work a scheme around a player and then pay him $15 million a year, that's not a real smart thing to do. And I think that's why the Jets are sitting there, and I think Joe Douglas sees it.
1: Who do you think, Mike, is the best fit? Now, obviously the Jets are going to hold out. They're going to play poker. They're going to call his bluff. But from a trade standpoint, what team do you look at from a fit standpoint and say, wow, Jamal Adams would knock it out of the park?
2: Well, I think what I just said earlier is he's a Seattle safety cam chancellor mode. So let's go through the teams that run that. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars run that scheme. The Atlanta Falcons run that scheme. The Los Angeles Chargers run that scheme. The 49ers run that scheme. And that scheme has not been effective for three of those four teams. The only team that that team's scheme's been effective for is San Francisco because of their dominating defensive front. The 49ers have a kid named Terrett. They play in the box, much like Jamal. Now, they're not paying a premium for that. They're paying the regular freight for that. Nobody wants to pay a premium for a non-premium position. That's the problem. Seattle, which invented this defense with Pete Carroll, they don't even run it anymore. They play more cover, two than they've ever played. It's a zone system that utilizes the skill of the guy in the box. I think it's going to be hard for Jamal to get, for the Jets to get compensated as a one first-round pick and then a team turn around and pay him a huge sum of money. I think that's a hard thing to do.
1: Okay, Mike. There's been, at least for me, you know, the challenge of the last few months trying to figure out how I'm going to do radio shows. The NFL has helped, thankfully. But with the two quarterbacks in town, both very unproven, both have ability. Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, you're a guy who's scouted quarterbacks for a long period of time. If you could have one of them to build around,
2: who would your choice be? I'm gonna take Darnold and I said it before the Jets before the Giants took Barkley. I thought they should have taken the quarterback then because I think you you know, the running back Barkley's a great talent, but you know, running backs don't carry teams. I know what Derrick Henry did last year, but that's not the case. I think if Darnold can clean up his pocket and clean up the ability to not turn the ball over and really grow and do a role and, and, and utilize his skill set. He's got the arm, he's got the talent, I would take him. I like Daniel Jones. I worry about him in this new Jason Garrett offense. I'm not sure that's right for him. He fumbles the ball too much in the pocket. I think he's got to play bigger than his size than what he's done in terms of the ball comes out too easy, but I like Darnold better than Jones.
1: Mike, it's going to be brutal huh, for a guy like Joe Judge. He's in his first year coaching the New York Giants. Uh, I really liked what I heard from him back in January when he was introduced and he was an unknown. A lot of people were stunned he ended up getting the job. How big of a challenge, assuming, of course, we do have football, is it going to be with no OTAs, weird training camp? Not your normal run of the mill offseason, fair to say.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest challenge Joe Judge is going to face is Bill's not down the hall. You know, with, with, when you coach in New England, you can coach hard. You can really get after the players because the guy down the hall in the principal's office named Bill Belichick is there to protect you. If you coach hard without that guy down the hall, it can alienate some players. I think we've seen it with Josh McDaniels in Denver. I think we've seen it with Matt Patricia in Detroit. You've got to, Joe's got to find a balance because Bill's not down the hall to help him. He can't come after the players in the same way he did in New England because the guy who's got six trophies in his office isn't there to help him.
1: It's a great point, and it takes me to my team, Mike. I am a long-suffering Miami Dolphin fan, so it's fair to say you know I'm kind of used to being you know Charlie Brown going to kick the football and having Lucy pull it away. That's what life has been over the last 18 years after Dan Marino. That said, I look at what Brian Flores did there in his first year, and I get it. The bar was as low as it could possibly be. They went 5-4 and four down the stretch. They spoiled New England's chances of getting a bye. They played their rear ends off. It felt like game after game after game from, like, week 10 on. They get two in the first round. They spend a whole lot of money in the offseason. Uh, are you buying the direction that Chris Greer and Brian Flores are taking this Dolphin team?
2: Well, I think Brian Flores is one of the best young coaches in football. I think he's his own man. I think he's got Bill's philosophy ingrained in his DNA, but he also has his own personality ingrained in his DNA. He's not going to be a takeoff on Belichick. He's going to be Brian Flory's man. And I think a lot of it's going to depend on if Tua can stay healthy. I think they took a big risk taking Tua in the draft. I think, can he stay healthy? Can he perform at the highest level that they think he can? I think that's going to be the fundamental question they're going to have to answer. But I do think they're making improvements. I think they've done a good job of installing a culture, which is what I'm all about, you know, which is important. And I think he's got that. And I think he did it his way. He got rid of a lot of players. See, the difference between Flores, he went down to Miami. He was able to get rid of a lot of players. The Mara family, they're not going to get rid of players that won't comply with Joe's system. They're going to have to adapt. And Joe's going to have to be adaptive.
1: Michael Lombardi, the athletic, the GM shuffle pod. He joins us here on the fan. And Mike, when it comes to the preseason now, we see it go from four to two this year as a guy who would maybe evaluate players and, you know, look at a preseason game here, preseason game. Now I know most of the fans aren't going to complain about this, but somebody from an executive standpoint, a coaching standpoint, are they going to hate this?
2: No, I mean, they got to get the team ready to play. Right. And and I think it makes a lot of sense what they did because you, you you got to get everybody to start on the same time. That first preseason game, could have altered the way people start at the same time. And then it gives you the last preseason game to kind of handle any problems that might have come up in the first two weeks. So I think it's a really smart thing to do. I'm excited. I think they needed to do it. And, look, let's face it, the onus is on the coaches. Nobody played in the first preseason game. Nobody played in the fourth one anyway. They need to figure this out, and it's going to be tough for the coaches, but I'm sure they can do it.
1: Mike, final one. And listen, nobody has been nailing this when it comes to this pandemic. I mean, nobody has the slightest idea what's next. Who knows what's coming a week from now, a month from now. But are you cautiously optimistic, very optimistic, or very pessimistic that come second week of September we're kicking this NFL season off?
2: I mean, I don't know how anybody can predict it. I'm cautiously optimistic, yes. I'm hopeful that it will happen. I have no idea. I, again, I'm not an expert in this field. I'm hopeful that it will the reality of it is, is we have to take it one day at a time. And if we don't start wearing masks as a country, I think it's going to be in a lot of trouble to try to have football.
1: Well said, my friend. And for anybody who's looking to buy the book, Mike, I loved it. It was tremendous. Where can they find Gridiron Genius? Uh,
2: you know, Gridiron Genius is available in all bookstores, online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon online, anywhere you want to buy a book. It's still out there.
1: Well, I can't wait for book- Will there be a second book, Mike?
2: So I'm work- that's what I'm working on. I, I love I'm it, man. That- Listen,
1: I need reading material. You know, I get down <laughs> to the beach. I read your book last summer. Now I got to find something else to read. So I can't wait for book, two. I love it. Yeah, I'm
2: looking forward to it. Hopefully by Christmas of next year, I'll have it.
1: I like the sound of that. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the rest of your summer. And hopefully, God willing, we're kicking this baby off in September. All right? Thanks, JJ. There you have it. That's Michael and over at The Athletic. Unbelievable perspective. Jets, Giants. All the stuff with Cam and the Patriots. He knows that organization very, very well. We got a lot more at call calls at 877-337-6666. It's JJ After Darker right here on The fat.
0: Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it.